Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me in our studios in Southern Illinois is a man who's glad that the Podcasters Association did not do like the MLS Players Association and put out salary numbers today. It's producer Mason. <laughs> and joining me from a cave in West St. Louis County is a man that watched Andrew Brody, the 25-year-old homegrown, score the winning goal and now is certain that next season he'll be playing in MLS. It's Sean Campbell. How are you guys doing this week? I'm good. I'm glad to hear that I'm finally getting a uh, union representation. I wasn't aware of that, but always glad to hear it. <laughs> you were already getting union mandated breaks. <laughs> I didn't say union. I said association. <laughs> what is an association? I mean, I guess it could be like a trade association, but I don't want to get involved in that. And if you all don't get any of the references I just made, just keep listening. We'll go over those later in the show. Uh, we've got... Some St. Louis City SC news to go over. We got both uh, news coming out of the big club, and we've got uh, information on the Academy, who had a big week in a festival a tournament, so to speak, for MLS Next. First of all, we want to go over with the St. Louis City SC. They announced a new founding partner and their official beer sponsor. It's Miller. No, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. And he doubt that it wouldn't be Anheuser-Busch. It is Anheuser-Busch. Or I should say InBev, doing business as Anheuser-Busch. That's more appropriate in this case. Surprising to absolutely nobody, AB is the official beer sponsor of the club. Um, absolutely nobody is surprised by this. Um, I'm surprised. No, you're not. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, but they are also going to be, uh, they have the naming rights to the uh, Premier Lounge. Um, not a lot of details are known about this. It's called the Ultra Club. Um, if you've seen renders of the stadium, it's the big glass box that is above the south stands. So um, from reading the press release, uh, yeah, it, it said like, you know, it's going to have like two restaurants in there. Um, it's a bunch of TVs uh, mounted on the ceiling so that you can watch either the game or presumably other games, something like that. Um, and then it's going to be like all glass all around. So you can look out over the pitch, watch the game. Um, you can also get views of downtown, um, the uh, the west side and South City. Um, but none of the none of the vacant buildings on the north side, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder, I, mean, why, I wonder why they made that decision. <laughs> I wonder if it has anything to do with uh, North St. Louis just being absolutely ghettoized by everyone in St. Louis. It couldn't possibly be it. No, no. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so that is going to be on the uh, the south side of the stadium along Market. And uh, it's uh, going to be open for private events during like off days as well as what they said. I don't know how long this deal is for, but that was part of the the uh, like the beer partnership and the founding partners thing. I guess it's a good thing uh, we got our supporters section tickets because I can't imagine going to a soccer match and sitting down and having dinner in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're an Atlanta United fan, apparently. <laughs> oh, with the $22 whole entire chicken, chicken with yeah. sides? Wow. Most places you get three really lame chicken strips with like no dipping sauce and some cold fries for like $19. They're giving up a whole jerk chicken for 22 I don't know, man. At, at KC Games at the Cauldron, I could get a, a full-on grinder for like nine bucks. And like, 
big old Philly cheesesteak. That was a great time. Oh, that'd be great. That's not too bad. Oh, yeah. How much were beers, though? <laughs> uh, not not terrible. But then again, they, they were working with Boulevard. Uh, and, you know, it, it was a little bit more of a doing it for the club, for the city kind of a thing, as opposed to we're selling concessions to make a ton of money. Yeah. Sorry, make a ton of money. Mason, Look, I should have warned you with the bleep. I got, I got, <laughs> I downloaded the sensor noise for a reason. Nerd. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we've accidentally pivoted into talking about concession prices, I guess. But um, yeah, you might have seen that post about um, the Atlanta United uh, concession prices. What were the, those 12 ounce craft beers for like $3? Yeah, they were running That's a special insane. at one of their like uh, bars. Not a concession stand, but actually a bar. Yeah, three dollars for a twelve ounce can at the game. Yeah, um, I'm going to be completely honest with you. If there was a deal like that at the stadium, it could turn into a ten cent beer night for me. <laughs> oh no, I've heard stories, and that is not a good idea. That's how you get Mason running across the pitch trying to score his own goal. We don't want that. I did a few of those at uh, minor league baseball, and you go up, you buy two. You turn away and you immediately get back in line and drink the two so you can get another two when you get done and you never watch the game. Yeah. <laughs> you don't go to a baseball game to watch baseball. Oh, you're are watching, you some kind of a freak? <laughs> all I was doing was watching to see if a foul ball came right into the crowd there. And occasionally it did. <laughs> uh, uh, fun times. Anyway, we were talking about the stadium. Um, so as part of this announcement, um, reps from... Uh, from the club and I think from AB as well were down in South City in Soulard handing out scarves special yeah limited exclusive edition. limited edition yeah. Anheuser-Busch St. Louis City scarves yeah and one of us managed to snag one why don't you tell us about that oh yes I I did in fact manage to grab a scarf on my first day on Twitter saw the tweet and I said oh I gotta go so I started looking around to find rides ended up getting a ride down there at about 12 something uh looked at the tweet matched it up to the brewery building get there and as i get there you see a few other people wandering around no one really knowing what's going on the golf cart's gone and i'm walking around in my in my ultras jersey that i got from the luligans and uh a couple of people walk up to me and ask me are you looking for the scarves too and i'm like yeah i can't find them. i don't know what happened you know it's this is the picture i was standing right over there didn't see him um did actually run into one uh, one of our listeners by the name of Kaiser Soso, also known as Dan. Um, apologies. As soon as I got the scarf, they told me it was the last one. And by the time I managed to get back on Twitter to let you know, uh, you had already been informed it was the last one. But I do want to say it was a great it was great to meet you. Great, great to, ha- you know, talk with you for a minute. Um, good to know you're still kicking my butt in in fantasy. So that's great. Uh, but to everyone out there, I don't, I don't know how much Mike and Mason agree with this, but I'm sure they will. It's always great to, to meet listeners. It kind of makes this more real and less of just talking out of, at a microphone and just seeing what sticks on a wall almost. Yeah. Um, but that really did make my day getting a picture. Um, but yeah, we get to, we end up driving around Soulard and we're just thinking, what are some big bars that they could be at? Cause that's probably where they're at. We ended up at McGurk's found him in the beer garden run up after running into another fellow fan and it was myself my brother and this other fan and we we uh they only had two scarves left so my brother ended up not getting one but they're gonna they're they're gonna be in touch with him so i'm sure he's gonna get something out of this too but uh 
all in all, it was a fun time. Little scavenger hunt deal. Uh, the scarves are really cool. They have the AB on one side, St. Louis City SC on the other. And across the bottom, it has what is written on the one side as in big text, but you only get the top half of what it says. But all in all, really cool scarves. Great time. Can't wait for the next uh, exclusive bird drop to try to go on another scavenger hunt for more stuff. And if you don't believe Sean, uh, there is a photographic evidence. He is in the gallery on the uh, St. Louis City SC app at the very bottom, which kind of proves he was the last one. You and uh, David. It's almost as if the app just really likes to get pictures of me doing city stuff or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's the caveman look, caveman yeah. dweller. <laughs> and sorry, Dan. Dan had to leave, uh, judging from uh, you know interacting with him on Twitter. Uh, sorry, Dan, that you missed out. Uh, maybe someday Sean will allow you to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> Please rephrase that. <laughs> it touched the scarf. <laughs> no, no, I will not. I'm going to put it out on like a parade across the across the city. <laughs> like it's like it's Lennon's <laughs> casket. <laughs> he walks around just holding it up. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, wanting everyone to look at when it. marching to the stadium. Oh, we're off to... Uh, you know, it's... it's <laughs> We're off to a bang and start. Yeah, here. we're off to a roar and start here, boys. <laughs> <laughs> like a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, enough of that. Uh, we got more important things yeah, to talk bring about. Bring it back down to earth, so to speak. <laughs> We've got horticulture. Almost literally. <laughs> <laughs> we got horticulture to talk about. As we prepped you quite thoroughly about two, three weeks ago uh, with information about sod and grass. Well, today, that we're recording on Tuesday afternoon, the sod arrived at Centene Stadium, and uh, they're doing a pretty good uh, job of getting swathes of that already down onto the dirt there at the stadium. So we know things are going. There's a plethora, and that's probably the right word to use, of uh, photographs on the uh, St. Louis City app uh, showing the grass and some rather... uh, fascinating heavy machinery used to lay that down in the stadium. But uh, you knew it was going to be a big day early when you see on Twitter that uh, Chief Experience Officer Matt Sabak uh, posted a selfie showing that he was wearing his special city red and blue uh, plaid shirt today. So knew something was going down. Uh, so it's coming to nice pictures on the app of uh, grass in the stadium and the, the seats in coming in, city spelled out by the seating. Uh, the dream is really starting to come reality. Time is still seems a life long, long lifetime away, but it's coming up quicker and quicker. Yeah, as much as I make fun of it, it is a big deal that the pitch is getting laid down. That is a huge milestone. And now that uh, Anheuser-Busch is a sponsor and the app had uh, so many gratuitous pictures of Clydesdales, will they allow the Clydesdales to graze on the sod? Graze, absolutely not. (laughs) We have the Clydesdales out there grazing in the grass. I think the closest we get to that is we get the Clydesdales and and the beer wagon, you know, leading us on the march to the stadium. (laughs) They should have thought ahead and put in a warning track so that the Clydesdales could do a loop around the pitch. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good thought. No, it's not. You don't put a warning track on your your soccer pitch. (laughs) What do you say, National Stadium? Stadium? Who do they think we are? 
You've seen all the national stadiums in CONCACAF? They have the actual eight lanes of a real track and field track running around. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be doing that. But enough jocularity and enough about grass. Uh, Not a lot of uh, City 2 news this week after a really tough loss against uh, Vancouver at home uh, last week. They had a week off this time to hopefully not sit and stew about that uh, defeat. Uh, next match will be coming up this Sunday at, uh, SIUE, Ralph Court Stadium. They'll be, uh, taking on the Portland Timbers, too. I think that's their name. So, not a lot to talk about with City, not much news there. But we did have big news with the Academy, and to tell us all about it is our producer, Mason. Yeah, one last note on this, uh, the upcoming City 2 game is if you are planning to go, Kickoff is at seven, so I believe that the tailgate with the Luligan starts at six. Um, and they have more. I, I saw five. a tweet, it said five. I thought I also saw that they corrected it, so I'm not sure which one is correct. So, if you want more details on that, check out the Luligan's Twitter account where they post all the all the tailgate information. Yeah, they had a little trouble with dates and times. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, sometimes it's just like a bad day and you don't know how to look at a calendar. Yeah. <laughs> But you can't put it off any longer, Mason. Go ahead and tell us about the Academy. So the Academy, uh, like like we talked about last time, the U16s and U17s shift off, shipped off to Maryland uh, to compete in MLS Next Flex. Um, unlike last time, we do actually have a little bit of information about what that tournament is or was. It's coming to an end today. Um but it was being played by uh, it was 64 teams per age bracket. So a very big tournament. Um, and the ultimately what it was, was that the winner of each group uh, out of, you know, four teams in each group would automatically secure a spot, a berth in the MLS Next Cup playoffs. So that was the big grand prize from this big tournament. The U16s. Um, finished their last game yesterday, uh, Monday. They fell short. They placed second in their group behind Strikers FC, who had nine points. Uh, the U6 St. Louis SC U16s got five. They won two of their games, but ultimately lost to Strikers uh, uh, four to one, and that knocked them out of first place. Um, the U-17s finished their last game earlier this morning. So this is about as breaking news as you're ever going to get from us. And um, that being Tuesday morning. Yeah. Um, they have clinched first place in their group. They have secured Yay. a berth in the playoffs. Uh, had a had a like a must win game if they wanted to win the group. Uh, they won uh, 2-1 over Real Salt Lake. Uh, after going down 10 men pretty early on and playing for 50 minutes down a man. Uh, but that was their only real competition in that group was Real Salt Lake, and they managed to take home first place. So the U-17s have secured a berth in the MLS Next Cup playoffs, and that's the real big news from that. Good job, boys. Good job. Yeah. Uh, so if my math is right, there's 16 teams that advance in each age group to the playoffs, or they got a handful of second place that'll be a filling in a lopsided bracket. I think it's 32 because I think that top performers in the regular season also get a berth. Ah, okay. I, um, yeah. Any idea what they're going to call 
I think that it's, tournament. I think it's the MLS Next Cup playoffs. Okay, because earlier we had MLS Next Fest, which is different from MLS Next Flex. So uh, they really need to get their naming. Under, <laughs> yeah, they got it. Because it's just getting really annoying. They got to yeah. do something about all, these names, man. <laughs> all my pockets are full of flashcards to try to get me to learn all of the MLS Next stuff that's yeah. out there. It really yeah, MLS Next is becoming harder to keep track of than all of the buckets for allocation money. It's like a uh, harder to keep track of than the dates of Western civilization. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's trying to remember, like, every Saint Feast Day over here. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. I don't know, what, are they going to make us learn, like, the French Revolutionary calendar for game days now as well? Uh, yeah, they're going to go over with the Georgian instead of the Julian calendar. <laughs> that we'll have to decipher. I could see that happening. Uh, so that pretty much wraps up the news we have for City this week. Uh Still amazed at how much there is to talk about every week this far in advance of the season. Uh, and uh, for the rest of this week, we're going to be go recapping what's going on in MLS. And uh, there was a lot going on in MLS. A lot of uh, kicking and screaming and yelling and banging shoes on the table. Lots of uh, angry players and coaches with post-game rants, the like we rarely ever hear in MLS. And perhaps the harshest one was after Sporting Kansas City. Their troubles continue as they were blown out by the Portland Timbers 7-2. Uh, after the match, Johnny Russell just goes on a rant. He says, we were down 1-0 at halftime. We talked about the ways we could get in the match. And then we give up a goal in the first 45 seconds. And he goes, it was just a capitulation. He said he was embarrassed that he had low points in his career, but this might have been the lowest. And he said uh, that uh, what he saw out there, and he included himself in all this, was unprofessional. But uh, don't need to tell, have me talk about it. We got a Sporting KC fan uh, to explain what's going on. And who better than our own Sean Campbell? Take it away, Sean. All right. I'm going to give this as a little bit of a warning to y'all listening. Mason, make the timestamp. And then when I'm done, make the timestamp. They'll be up, so you can skip this if you don't want to hear me. It's okay. I understand. Um, but we're about to hear some righteous anger. <laughs> it's it's warranted, I believe. Hopefully this doesn't bode. This is what an angry fan should sound like. And hopefully we don't have to deal with that for a long time in this city. Because most of the time when we're angry fans, it's usually because, oh, the team's just having a couple of bad games here and there. and we just get upset because we're used to winning but uh let's get started then so obviously this season is basically a foregone conclusion for this for sporting kc it is all downhill there's nothing really to look forward to except for maybe a chance to make a run in the u.s open cup but even that would be a little bit of a minor consolation prize at this point because i'm not sure we're even going to make that run when you look at what's going on, we first have our injuries, the obvious ones being Alan Polito being out and Gotti Kinda being out, season-ending knee injuries. And when you have two of your three DPs go out because of a season-ending injury, your season's going to start to look rough to begin with. And a lot of what those two brought to the table was ability to dribble at guys, hold up play, connect well with the wingers to actually put balls in the back of the net. And when you can't do that, you're not going to score goals and you can't score goals, you're not going to win games. Obvious. Zussi also finds a way to get, you know, get taken out. He brought a lot to this team, even though he's slowing down in his old age. 
But not only is his presence missed out there on the right wing, that also puts Cam Duke out of his natural position, which is, again, causing all kinds of havoc in the midfield. Isamont Marine goes out with a concussion after finally trying to, you know, get to a point where he felt like he was finding his place, the MLS squad. And with a concussion, that really sucks because now you're one of your best center backs is now out for an indefinite amount of time. There's really no timetable on concussions until they say, all right, I'm in, I'm ready to play. And as of recording, it was just announced that Johnny Russell is also now out questionable for this week's match with a knee injury. So who's leading this team now? That's right. It's Daniel Shallowy. But you know, you just I just know right now that Peter Vermees is going to put that armband on Yuri Russell because of nothing else other than nostalgia. Russell needs to not start. He's he, he was a, a nostalgia signing to begin with. And the fact that he kicked Mari out into the doghouse so early in the season made him have to start when he didn't need to. Um, so he needs to start sitting again. Roger Espinosa, he can't start anymore. He's also really old. That's another big problem with this club is the aging core. It needs to just, we didn't have a transition properly to our homegrowns and to our younger players. Kyrie Shelton hasn't found the net yet in MLS this year. He cannot put balls in the back of the net. He needs to not be playing the number nine at all. It is worse of a problem. He looks worse in front of net right now than Albert Pujols did pitching in that Cardinals game the other day. <laughs> and at least, at least Pujols got the outs. <laughs> That's, Shelton won't even put a ball on the back of the net. That is either sit him or move him somewhere else. That it is needs to damning. <laughs> That's what it looked like. It he looks pathetic. He has no sense of of putting the ball on frame. He'll get that final touch and get on the end of the ball and then just sky it. It's like he's not even attempting to put it on the net. The only goal he scored in the U.S. Open Cup was because it deflected off the goalie, off of a defender, the out into a defender, and then back into the net. He didn't even score the goal. Like it's frustrating. But then you get to the real issue here, which is where you start questioning coaches' decisions even more because Vermees has such a stranglehold on what happens at this club. He went out and got guys like Voinovich and Chonis. He brought them in specifically to make up for the fact that we were going to be missing Polito and Kinda and has them sitting on the bench most games. And when they come in, they play for like 10, 15 minutes, can't really make much of a difference in the game. You brought him in to fill the spot, put him in the spot. It doesn't matter. I don't, I don't care. You brought them in for that position to fill these holes. They have the ability to do so. Now put them in there. And you're just wasting money that you could have spent to keep Ilya. And the fact that you didn't keep Ilya is probably one of the biggest problems I have. And I will never, I will never stop talking about how that was a bad move to let him walk because look at what LAFC is doing this season. LAFC now has a solid central uh, CDM. And the fact that they have that really short up their midfield, it helps connect their defensive line to their offensive line. Um, also, they got Crepo, which is a big plus for them. But look at how they're tearing it up. Um, the only thing that I could think of is they're dumping this season so they can try to win the Open Cup. And I don't think we're even going to get there um, just because of the way we're looking. This is turning into very quickly looking like an FC Cincy of last year performance. And I. I I'm going to end my rant there, but PV, you're probably going to start feeling some heat, especially after the fact that you basically said, oh, no one told me that they were displeased with how this team is playing. How could you not have seen it? Mark it. It is done. If you have if you have, you know, anything to say to me, you want to yell at me for ranting too long. Do it on Twitter. 
I, I am connected to the podcast account. So just <laughs> I also have my own account. You can find me on the on the following list. Uh, but with that, with Vermees and, uh, you know, he's been carrying a heavy load as GM and coach for a long, long time. So a lot of this has to come down on him because the problems with uh, having in defense and the midfield uh, defensive midfield being overrun on the break has been going on for a couple of seasons now. And they're still, after years of being strong defensively and a little weak in attack, they're now gone the other way and they're too top heavy in attack and haven't addressed these deficiencies or been unable to find solutions for the defense in the back. And it's coming back to bite them because with such an devastating amount of injuries and injuries to DPs and MLS because of the structure and the roster rules are just devastating because you've got so much tied up in those players uh, for resources like the salaries. Uh, there's just so much into it. It limits the way that you can back up and get depth. And that's the problem we have with MLS. And we're really seeing it with Sporting Kansas City. But Vermees has his handle, his hands on every handle uh, when it comes to soccer in Kansas City. So he's got to feel some heat. Uh, got to be exhausting to him. But uh, Sean, I'll ask you this. Is this, uh, despite what I just said and everything you said about the personnel, are they really a team in decline or is just just a very bad year? Honestly, if I had to say, it's a little bit of both. I think they may have held on to the aging core and used them and relied on them too heavily for about a season too long. And that's what's really coming back to bite them uh, is because they didn't, you know, take some time last year to get the the young kids really, truly into starting positions and get them minutes and games that actually meant something as opposed to, you know, the last 10, 15 to close out a game or just because the game was out of hand. Um and it's really showing now because even when we have to play these players, they're, you know, they're still trying to find legs and, you know, they're making mistakes because they're trying to do too much. And it's 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 looking a lot like that first few windows in World Cup qualifying when we had a bunch of young guys that hadn't had much experience playing and you could easily tell. Um, but it's also the guys that you expected to come in and, and make make a difference haven't been able to do that either. So it's when when it's working you don't question the coach's decisions but when he makes the same decisions and it's not working you have to figure out what's going wrong and you're not going to get that from a club press release yeah you're just not and Kansas City for you know they've overperformed uh based upon their spend in the past they're still ranked 14th out of 28 teams in MLS so they're middle of the pack expectations are very high but it just goes to show that uh, the spending on depth is so important, but the cash flow generally in MLS isn't there as well. You get a lot of these injuries hitting and a couple of poor decisions in personnel, and it's and it can spiral downhill very quickly. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing with Kansas City. My feeling is they'll be back. Uh, the big question is, will Vermees be back after this season? Is he get tired and he just gives it up? Because I believe it's absolutely his call. But he's been doing it for a long time. And there's been speculations that uh, will he decide it's too much and he's tired and looking for something different? Or is this just refiring him up to come back? 
knowing his competitive edge, I'd have to say it's going to fire him up for him to come back. It's my look at it. The way I see it, it's all going to depend on what he does in this summer transfer window. Yeah. Yeah. What he can do, what he can accomplish. Because one thing we don't know per se, per se is what are they looking, what were they looking for and did they get what they wanted? And that applies to every team, not just in MLS. That applies to pretty much every team in the world. Except Manchester United, we know everyone that they want and if they get them or not. But uh, that's for that's for a different podcast. Yeah. So that wraps up what is another rant from Sean Campbell. Two weeks in a row. We might have to start a whole new segment. What got your goat this week with Sean Campbell? You, you know what really grinds my gears about MLS? Grinding gears. Ten, it's just going to be the one bad referee that weekend. We're not doing a Family Guy bit on the show. I'm vetoing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do call I have? it Ramblings from the Cave. Rumblings from the Cave. There we go. I got, I got a feeling 50% of that skit would be Ted Uncle this week. <laughs> I honestly don't think he did that bad this week. I don't no? think he did that bad. But boy, he was all over it with the uh, penalty calls and other calls when Colorado uh, at home hosted their nemesis, LAFC, who they've not performed well against, and really dominated them. And coming on short rest after having uh, Weather push back the remainder of their U.S. Open Cup uh, game against uh, Minnesota into Thursday, and then they had to travel and play another game this weekend. And against a very good LAFC team who's playing very well under new coach Steve Gerundolo, and they really dominated them. Uh, Jossie Zardes got his first goal. And him being on the team has really freed up Diego Rubio to do what he does better. So uh, Colorado was impressive this week. What else do we have going on this week in MLS, Sean? Well, uh, I mean, we're about a third of the way through the season. So it's about time we start looking at people's forms and we can actually see what is actually real and which one is, which is just, you know, it, it was a flash in the pan. I think Montreal is one of those we got to look at. Is it real? Because they just won again. Montreal has just been bossing this league. They are not running away with it, but they have they are putting in a strong, strong campaign to say, hey, we're we're here this year. And a lot of that is due to Georgi Mihailovic because he's putting in an absolute MVP level campaign. And I would if he doesn't get called up in this uh, July window for U.S. Men's National Team, I think we riot. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible. It, it's There's been rumors that Berhalter is looking for more goal threat from him, and he's providing it. He's got six goals, got another one this week. Uh, Alistair Johnson also got a goal. He has been a way under, way too far under the radar signing. I think he cost a million dollars in GAM, the prime away, the Canadian international away from Nashville. And he's been fantastic. Uh, so keep an eye on Montreal. They're playing well. If Mihailovic does leave for Europe in the summer, though, they could fall back to where they usually are, scrambling to get in the playoffs every year, because right now he is so tied in the success of this team. Though Wilford Nance is doing such a great job as coach, they should hang on. Uh, and a little bit of success could do a lot for a team culture. And they're getting success right now, and they could carry on even if Mihailovic leaves. And and they won 2-0 on the road in Charlotte, and Charlotte's been winning at home. 
So that's a big victory, a standout victory for them. NYCFC all of a sudden is rolling in the East. Uh, they picked up a 2-0 victory over Columbus Crew, who I'd have to say are scuffling a little. Uh, Just a little. <laughs> NYCFC was scuffling until they got done with uh, CONCACAF Champions League. They're now 4-0-1 in their last five matches. Big win here. Uh, they're... Their style, their whole setup with the young players is paying off. They're actually got Talis Mano, they've got Santi Rodriguez, they got the young guys coming in. Even if they lose Tate Castellanos, they've got depth to replace them. You, they even pushed Maxi Morales, who's been one of the very best playmakers in the league since he came in five, six years ago. They pushed him all the way back into defensive midfield as a six, playing as a regista, which is sort of get the ball, link it up to the midfield, get your head up, try to make the play down the field. And he did that in a beautiful play to Tosti Castellanos, who just hung around in midfield and got just completely forgotten about by uh, Columbus's uh, defensive backs. And uh, Morales found him. He was past, He was at the midfield stripe, so he wasn't off offsides. Scored a gorgeous goal there. They are off and running. Someone else who's off and running, moving to the Western Conference, are FC Dallas. They went to L.A., played the Galaxy, whose defense has been shockingly very good, not giving up open goals uh, from the run of play. Uh, Dallas got three in like 28 minutes. Jesus Ferreira's got a couple. He's now on nine, leading the Golden Boot race. Uh, and the signing of Paul Areola, Spent $3 million in GAM, which is an, a fantastical amount of money in this league, and he's been worth it. Uh, they are really playing well in Dallas right now. They're a little ahead of their XG, but their attack, which has been a problem not being able to score when they get to the final third, they're pretty lethal right now. Oh, yeah. And they lost Ricardo Pepe. El Train's gone. But that's really opened up the front of the net for what Jesus Ferreira who did get signed as a DP and locked in this year, his movement just opens things up for their exciting wingers to take advantage, and their pace is killing defenses. Now, if only Ferreira can, can, can transfer that over to national team, that would be amazing. But no, Dallas is for sure 100% chugging along, even without their Zug. Yeah, and and uh, I, I, for their sake, I hope it can continue because they've put together a really good team. Yeah, you've got Paxson Pomacall back, and he's dealing. They have playing him centrally, and uh, getting the ball from midfield up there as, as he can. He's talented that way. He has to stay healthy. Uh, there's a lot of excitement there with Dallas. See if they can keep it going, especially when the heat starts beating down in summer. Will it beat down on them or just beat down all on their opponents? Staying in the West, a uh, big rebound win for Seattle Sounders. Uh, they took out uh, Minnesota 3-1 in this one. Wow. Christian Roldan with just an absolute galazo. I can't even speak. Uh, a rocket just dribbling across the middle and just how he got the power from where he was doing that shot. Fantastic. He was a big part of this victory. He had the goal. He got an earlier penalty, called it... Uh, that Re Diaz actually took instead of Ladero and put it in, though almost was saved by the keeper. And Roldan also had an assist on Ladero's later goal. After this game, 
uh, Minnesota head coach uh, Adrian Heath uh, had a little rant of himself calling out his players for a lot of stupid mistakes. We had a plan. We had everything. And then stupid, they just making stupid mistakes out there. Didn't see a lot of them. Actually, the stupidest mistakes was Nuhu missing a clearance, completely whiffed on it, and allowed Minnesota to get their one goal. Uh, in a lot of ways, what Minnesota's problem is, uh, is that while Adrian Heath's doing a very good job as coach, as a general manager, he's not doing so well. You've got who knew who's been playing games sometimes in MLS Next Pro. Uh, he's a DP. Uh, they just have parts missing. They haven't got the talent that everybody thinks. Fragaponi on the wing isn't creating chances. Uh, they've got Bebe Reynoso, who's fantastic. Uh, and Robin Ludd being stuck in as a striker, which really is in his game. Uh, they've got a misfit there in uh in Minnesota, and uh, they're performing well, but uh, they need to do a little bit of uh, reevaluating their talent on that team. Yeah, they're definitely they're they're hanging around in games that they probably shouldn't with the way that they're playing, but they're not exactly wowing with anything they're doing. Um, and it seems almost like you know people don't really have to teams don't have to get up and actually look at too much film because they know exactly what they're going up against when it, when they're playing Minnesota. It's almost the same thing every time. And when you can do all you can as a coach to get these, get the most you can out of the players. But when you're that one dimensional and, you know, it, it, even if you make adjustments mid game, if it's going to be the exact same thing at game in and game out, and you're just, you only make like for like substitutions. So you can continue that game plan. Like, you know, part of that's on you as well for not making a tactical change at some point. Well, they're being really helped out because their goalkeeper, St. Clair, the Canadian international, is having a fantastic, wonderful season. Maybe the best goalkeeper so far in MLS. Uh, he'll keep them in the game, but uh, they got enough talent there uh, to get in the playoffs. But are they going to be damaging like they were two years ago when they were more of a counterattacking team? Uh, we'll have to see. A big matchup of pressing teams. Um, Philadelphia hosting uh, Red Bull New York. Red Bull New York came into this one having won, what was it, four or five straight road matches to start the season. This one was a draw. Philadelphia has been scuffling after starting to run away with the East and uh, getting a cushion above NYCFC while they were having their issues with CCL play. Uh, this did break uh, Red Bull New York's uh, road winning streak, but they're still unbeaten on the road this year. Uh, both these teams, though, are pretty good. I think they'll stay at the top of the Eastern Conference. Oh, absolutely. The The Eastern Conference as a whole has really kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, righted the ship. Um, when you look at it, five of the six teams that were in the East in a playoff spot last year are, are in a playoff spot now, maybe in a slightly different position, but they're there. The difference being Cincy and Montreal are in and the revs are sitting outside looking in at the moment. Um, can't you? We'll, we'll have to talk about them in a moment. But uh, Nashville going off to the to the west also opened up a spot. But the teams you expect to be there are 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 there now, and I I think we can expect that to stay fairly the same until we see some made if we unless we see any you know big injuries or how the revolution decide to respond when they lose Turner in the summer. 
Though there's one team in the East that I don't think anybody expected to be where they are, and that's FC Cincinnati. Won their fourth game in a row, won their fourth road match of the season. They're sitting in fourth place. They've got the fours going on. Uh, they took advantage of a Gaga Solina uh, air gaff for the goalkeeper for the Chicago Fire. Scored the game winner. Uh, Lucho Acosta uh, came back to MLS after he left DC United. Got with Cincinnati. He's been a revelation. They've got some really good attacking players. Acosta's the piece, the key that's a uh, locking them all together, and he's having a tremendously great season, MVP caliber type season, uh, scoring goals and uh, score and creating scoring chances. Uh, really, Cincinnati is good. This isn't a fluke. I think they're good. Oh, yeah. I think they make the playoffs this year for sure. And another big reason for that is Brendan Vasquez up front. He's yep. had a pretty good campaign as well. Yep, he's up there for uh, the Golden Boot as well. A lot of uh, American players at this stage in MLS season scoring goals in bunches, and that's really not normal. Uh, so good news for the U.S. men's national team as they're looking to find a striker. There's options out there. Uh, will that translate into the national team? That's a whole different story. Uh, Orlando still just keeps eking out results, staying uh, somewhere near the top as they got a 90-second winning goal from Kyle Smith off a corner. The defender got the header home and prolonged Toronto's agony. Uh, Orlando takes that one 1-0 at BMO Field. Uh, RSL, we kind of mentioned it earlier, or, or maybe that was in our pre-show. But uh, they were able to hold on at home, and Austin has took the loss in this one. Austin hit the road. Uh, after feasting at home against uh, lesser opponents, uh, this was a tough one. Uh, they had a man sent off because of a second yellow for a, uh, a denial of obvious scoring opportunity, the beloved Dogso, and uh, they lost the lead on this one. And the big story, mention it in the opening if you didn't get it, uh, RSL homegrown Andrew Brody. With the 88th minute banger from outside the box to give the win for RSL. He's a 25 year old homegrown, uh, was in the RSL Arizona Academy, uh, kind of left behind, but uh, just this week, I believe it was, uh, he was able to sign a contract with RSL, dream come true, and then hits the banger on this. So it was a, maybe the best story of the week in MLS. And RSL is kind of on the up and up right now. They're playing better on the pitch and in the stadium as well. Rio Tinto is selling out. It's rocking. The fans are involved. It seems like it was back in their heyday a few years back. And uh, a lot of the fans are uh, giving all the credit to the new ownership. David Blitzer and Ryan Smith who came in and owned the team this year. They're bottom of the league in spending, not to be... Uh, you know, not surprising given that they headed into the season without an owner uh, with the new ownership coming in late. So good for RSL. It's uh, good to see him coming back after a rather uh, traumatic ownership uh, change that they had there a few, couple of years ago. We said we'd have more about Atlanta and about New England. Uh, they played to a 2-2 draw in a rather subdued, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, Atlanta still 
looks powerful on the attack. Diego Almeida was really good in this one. Uh, the biggest signing in MLS history show getting into form and getting up to speed. And uh, as he's come along, Atlanta's attack is coming along. He did have a free kick, which was fantastic in this game and had was matched by a just unbelievable Matt Turner diving stay save. Then from uh, the run of play, uh, Almeida was able to beat Turner. But in this one, the rest of it was pretty much down to a couple of uh, a struggling defenses in this one. Atlanta really having trouble uh, keeping their defense together. And New England's had trouble all year in that part. I uh, think they're both in for the playoffs, but if they don't play much better, either one of these teams, they got a risk of uh, being passed by some of the better and uh, up-and-coming teams in the East. It's MLS, a little bit too much parity sometimes. Yeah, but at the same time, they both have reasons for not playing so well. Atlanta can't seem to keep anybody healthy, yeah, just like SKC. But at the same time, they had a little bit more depth signing, and you know, guys aren't out for entire seasons. Um, the Revolution had CCL that they were working through, and now they have a chance to try to turn around their MLS season, but that might be short-lived once, again, Turner leaves for Europe. So we'll have to see if they can if they can come back from this and if you know if it's not going to be too little too late for them. Yeah, because the the revs aren't far out from a playoff spot at the moment, but they would need to turn it around if they want to make a run. Um, and Atlanta is going to kind of have to turn it around a little bit too if they want to keep their spot. Yeah, uh, both cases, especially Atlanta struggling on defense. They've lost their two leaders on defense for the year in Guzan and Miles Robinson. Um, tough stuff there. Uh, New England lost Tejon Buchanan, never really replaced him on the wing. Bruce Arena's style is leaving a polster just left out on his own, and teams have caught on, and they're taking advantage of it and overrunning them on the break. Atlanta had so many chances to win this one. Again, their attack is running smooth, but they're having trouble getting the ball and goal showed again in this one. Another team, uh, not in the East, but formerly of Nashville's, uh, had a, not really playing all that great this year. Not like we expected. Uh, they went down to Houston and got knocked off two nil good for Houston in this one. But, uh, a lot of Nashville fans and observers saying that this was perhaps the very worst performance in a game that Nashville has ever had in their history. Of course, not a long history, but not long ago, they were an expansion team, and now they're finishing top of conferences to have them all of a sudden have their worst performance ever, ever led to head coach Gary Smith going on another rant this week. Uh, that's the theme. Uh, he blasted his squad, saying that players are just not performing up to the level he expects from them. Many observers thinking he's talking directly at their DP, Ake Loba, who hasn't showed anything for the club. Uh, Nashville, Gary Smith is always harping that they don't have any depth. And they haven't really replaced Alistair Johnson. There's just uh, issues there, and their defense is not as stout as it's been. They're giving up easy goals. And they're having a hard time of it in the Western Conference. And I definitely mentioned this when we were doing our season previews. Um, I, I, I mentioned that going out to the West, it's a little bit more wild, wild out here. And uh, it, if Nashville wants to have any chance at making the playoffs, they were going to have to start winning those games that they were tying. And instead, it somehow 
I mean, granted, part of it was they started out almost exclusively on the road while they were waiting for their new stadium to get built. Uh, so we might see a turnaround now that they actually have a home home pitch that they can actually start utilizing that advantage. But it they're losing games that normally they'd probably end up tying. But it's it's a different it's a different animal out here in the West. That's for certain. And it, I think that's what we're seeing here in their recent run of form. I, yeah, I mean, like you even just look at their record four, three and four. That's a really mediocre record from a team that's been historically pretty good. Yeah. It it really is. And uh, apparently the coach is very worried because these outbursts in post-game uh, press conferences by MLS coaches are extremely rare. Uh, and we had two classic ones from Adrian Heath and Gary Smith this week, uh, really calling out the players. It's just not that common. So there's frustrations out there especially as teams that were poor last year are all of a sudden very good, but that's not new to MLS. Um, just maybe some of the uh, stakes or maybe some of the heats turned up as MLS gets better and better and older and older, you're starting to see more classic heat on the coaches a little more. That's a good sign for the league to be quite honest, in my opinion. One last game this weekend was a barn burner, especially in the second half. Of course, I didn't tune into this one. I was watching other matches, as happens every week. Uh, Vancouver hosted San Jose. Not really uh, one that you're going to highlight because of the quality of the play. But the excitement level should have been up there as exciting teams because they put in six goals in the second half alone. Jeremy Abovese, uh really getting calls to for a tryout for the national team heading the World Cup as they need a striker for the U.S. team. He's got seven goals in his last seven games, putting him right near the top of the golden boot race. He's on a hell of a roll. And uh, Vancouver getting the equalizer to make this a 3-3 draw with uh, in the 90th minute. So San Jose's not quite team chaos like they were under Matias Almeida, but they're... Uh, they still bring a lot more, a lot of excitement to their games. You never know what's going to happen. Case in point. Poor Vancouver, man. I knew this was going to happen, but it's a bummer. <laughs> we all knew it was going to happen. I know, but <laughs> uh, they just, they just never really have clicked in MLS. Uh, other than uh, you know, getting uh, Alfonso Davies in their academy. That's about it. Uh, and they got to Ryan Gold and gave him some excitement last year. Apparently he was out in this one and they still were able to do this. So it gives you a pretty good idea of, uh, what's going on right now at the one third point with, uh, how we're feeling about these teams. Uh, who's the one that, uh, is the most unexpected so far or, uh, the one either for wins or losses. And I'll start with you, Sean. Most unexpected. I've got a couple that I really want to, that I, I think are really expected. And that obviously is Cincy doing as well as they are. Uh, that was very much unexpected. Um, obviously we all know how I feel about the one team that's unexpectedly low right now. But uh, another one that's honestly baffling is it's the, where the revolution are is it's a little baffling for me to see them that low. I, I don't know what it is. At, at some point they have to turn this around. And it, again, it may just be too little too late at this point because they might not get enough 
points back before they lose Turner. And I don't know if that who was their backup again. I don't even know. He was not uh, exactly. impressive. Yeah, he didn't make a name for himself while he had the run exactly. there when Turner was so. They're going to have to go find somebody in in the sum, in the summer window, or we might see them tumble. Yeah, hard to disagree with the those as uh, on the low end. I would add surprisingly good is Montreal because they're so good. Uh, on that. New England was surprisingly so good last year that perhaps a drop-off would should have been foreseen a little bit. But not like this. No. Not like this at all. Not like this. And uh, LAFC, uh, with a new coach in Steve Terundolo, has been a lot better. And, uh, you know, a couple of MLS veterans added that squad, and, uh, Raheem Edwards and Marky Delgado. And, of course, the aforementioned Ile Sanchez uh, have really done something for that squad and made them tougher and better. Yeah, I mean, bringing in Kellen Acosta. Sorry, go ahead, Mason. <laughs> uh, it just like when we were doing like looking at uh, preseasons and stuff, I was like, OK, LAFC is in this one like for sure. But I didn't see them leading the league. <laughs> they are they are better than even I expected. And I expected them to be up there. Yeah, and good shout out, Sean. Uh, Kellen Acosta. I, I missed him, and he's been a cog in him as well. Oh yeah, I think what I think what these veterans brought to this team uh, more than anything, it wasn't. I mean, they may be on the score sheet, but what really is is the big thing, and I've already said it is the consistency that they're getting out of the out of their roster now that they have some of some of those stalwart building blocks to really hold everything together. Um, a, a word we haven't used in a long, long time. We ha- they they have the glue guys now that are really bringing the team together, and I I expected them to be good, but I'm not sure I expected them to be this good with with yeah. those upgrades. I agree. Uh, another one to really look at: uh, L.A. Galaxy playing good defense. That's a shocker. Uh, Toronto. Didn't quite anticipate them shuffling in so many younger players. Bob Bradley kind of taking the hit there. They've been up and down, uh, but they're blooding in the youth on that. Red Bulls in the East are playing much better than anticipated, though they were playing much better when uh, uh, Gerhard Struber started playing the players that he wanted more than the big signings and started to bench guys. Those are ones that really stand out and of course perhaps the biggest one is fc dallas and just how electric they are in attack Ariola really has brought something that team uh actually more than i thought he would but it was exactly what they needed fontas has been good uh he's still got the lead to learn and uh jesus ferreira is really going nuts so see if they keep it up those are the ex uh, the surprising ones, I'd also have to put Charlotte in there. They're better than I anticipated as an expansion team as well. Any other thoughts on that? I think we covered about all of them. The only other one that I would maybe mention is uh, is Houston. Or and, Austin, the Texas teams. Yeah. Um, FC Dallas is like the big runaway success. but um, And Austin had goodness in them, um, so it's not that surprising. It, yeah. It's still surprising. They're only a second-year club. But um, the Dynamo are doing, I think, better than a lot of people expected. 
Yeah, I don't know what their upside is, but they're playing much better than they did under USMNT legend Tab Romos. Sorry, Tab, but you just weren't that good a coach. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Inter-Miami also played. Didn't mention them because there's news coming out today. Uh, First of all, they drew with uh, DC United. Uh, They've got a good one. Taxi Fontas has uh, five goals, and he arrived late to the team already. Leo Campagna with Miami has six goals uh, since they've kind of put Higuain on ice a little bit right now. Uh, But the big news had nothing to do with those guys. There was a report reported by Alex Candela of uh, DirecTV Sports. I'd never really heard of such an entity before. Uh, was reporting that Inter-Miami is offering Lionel Messi 35% ownership to come to Miami to play. And that uh, hinted at it being strongly looked at. Now, 35% ownership is a ridiculous figure. Uh, My understanding is that Inter-Miami has reached out to the representatives of Messi, has talked about possible ownership stakes, don't know exactly how much to put in this. Some other observers, like uh, one of them being Taylor Twellman, who, while not really a true reporter, has some of the best contacts of any reporter in the world, uh, is saying there's actually some smoke to this, but there's is the feeling I'm getting from what he's saying. There's some smoke to this, but there's no real fire yet. Uh, it's not outlandish to think at the end of his career that uh, Messi might come to enter Miami with David Beckham uh, with options and to come to the U.S. But when's the timing? Is it right? Is it going to happen? I don't know. It's getting into the offseason in Europe, so a lot of these silly rumors will start breaking everywhere. MLS is getting more of a reputation as a destination in Europe than it's had before, so a lot of agents and press will also use MLS to either put leverage in salary negotiations or just to, you know, draw clicks. Got one last thing also having to do with MLS. And for a uh, a MLS nerd like me, this is uh, National Nerd Day as the uh, MLS Players Association put out the salary information as they do every year. Uh, Came out today. Didn't really have a chance to parse much of it. But I did gather some highlights with some help from Jeff Reuter and uh, Sam Stasekel of The Athletic. And a standout one is uh, Jaredan Shakiri of the Chicago Fires, the top earner, with a reported salary of $8.1 million a year. That's on top of his $7.5 million transfer fee. That represents 46% of the salary outlay of the Chicago Fire. They're a little top-heavy in this regard, and a lot to expect is Shakiri coming in because he's already played the season, got to adjust to MLS. He really hasn't performed at that level at all. Yeah, I was going to say, this is obviously uh, paying off for them, though, right? <laughs> uh, you think that number is kind of ridiculous because right now second place is Chicharito at $6 million a year, and that's not that surprising a figure. Uh, and he's doing well to earn that but uh, reportedly when lorenzo insigne comes into toronto he will earn around 15 million dollars a year in salary 
That is insane. Nuts. No, it's insane. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'll move oh, on. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, perhaps even as insane as Gonzalo Higuain at 5.79 million a year, which represents about 40% of Inter Miami's outlay. Can't say he's earned it. He's put up some numbers, but anybody that's watched would say a lot of those numbers are empty. Josie Altador, eye-opening figure of uh, 4.6, uh, 4.26 million, but that includes his buyout to bring him to New England from uh, Toronto. But still, his salary, his pay is uh, listed as 1.62 million. That's a lot of money in MLS for a bench rider. Spending teams, top five, not a lot of surprise here. You've got Atlanta, the LA Galaxy, uh, Miami. One big surprise is New England and uh, Chicago Fire. They spend it all on Shakiri. Now, how good would Shakiri have if they still had Georgie Mihalovic? Uh, that's for another day. The bottom fighting spenders, the bottom team is RSL, previously mentioned that, followed by Charlotte, Portland. The Timbers are the third lowest spending team in the league. And then uh, Colorado and Orlando. One thing to notice is the top five have about as many teams playing well as the bottom five. A lot of these teams are looking to make impact and sign big names and not really taking true valuation of the players' abilities or impact upon their own you know, performance on the field of their teams, while other ones are finding a way of finding hidden, hidden gems, good coaching, development, uh, and getting high performance at a little outlay. Moneyball. Yeah. Portland, Colorado, and Orlando, you expect them to be in the playoffs. And... And they're in the bottom five on this. Uh, your CONCACAF Champions League champions, Seattle Sounders, came in at number six overall. You've got Rodriguez, Ladero, uh, Rusnak came in as a free agent. You've got Jao Paulo. You've got Christian Roldan. You've got Jordan Morris. You got Nuhu. You got Yamar. You got Stefan Fry. Yeah, six seems a little low. I was about to say, like, um, it's obviously still high, but considering the Death Star that Seattle has built, I would have expected them to be like one or two. Nope, they're sixth, and uh, the semifinalists of CONCACAF Champions League, and for my money, the second best team in the CCL was New York City FC, and they came in right behind Seattle in seventh place, and they're doing a good job. Uh, there's a lot of talent on that squad, and they're not overspending for it. They also have some uh, scouting infrastructure with Citigroup that no one in MLS can match as well. Another one, Dallas, often looked at as someone that has spent money to develop the academy and not much on their first team, is up to number nine in the league. And showing with results, when you can couple that by spending like for Six million or three million in GAM for Paul Areola, uh, because you've got an academy that keeps you supplying players like Jesus Ferreira and Paxton Palmacall. That helps. That and signing Ferreira to a, a full DP contract. Yeah. That's going to up how much you're spending on him, too. So that that definitely, definitely helped them jump. Yep. But it's also been paying dividends for him. 
it's smart spending again. Uh, a little perspective on these. Let's take, for example, in the English second tier, the championship, uh, Atlanta is outspent by every team there except the bottom five spenders in the English championship in their second tier. So the big thing is MLS isn't spending a lot on salary. The problem is the DP laws and the way they're written right now and the structure makes teams extremely top-heavy. And that's why attacks are so much more prevalent than defense, though the TAM era has helped in that and helped a little bit with depth. That The DP just takes up such a huge part of the salary structure that uh, it just gets all top-heavy. Well, and then also, like, not just to, like, not let it go unstated, especially compared to, like, the Premier League, uh, comparatively, very few MLS clubs have petrodollar money. Oh, that wasn't even the Premier League. That was the second tier. I know, but, like, yeah, the Premier League are leagues ahead, and the reason why is petrodollars. (laughs) The, The Premier League is leagues ahead of every other league in the world. Complaining about overstripped uh, salaries is happening in the Bundesliga and La Liga about the Premier League <laughs> right now. So that's the way that's going. So that was interesting. Those are some of the quick takeaways uh, from the salary drop, as it's commonly called, that happens annually. And that about wraps up everything I have. You guys have any other comments, things you want to say? So I do have a question. So I have not been following especially this like nitty gritty financial stuff for a long time. Why does of, of all the, the organizations, the MLS players association put this out? Uh, Probably because the ownership doesn't want you to know anything about the way they do dealings. Otherwise I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's just their agreement and the collective bargaining. And I just honestly don't have an answer for that. Sean, you have an answer for that? Um, I, I think you probably got the right speculation there. The owners are probably saying, eh, we don't necessarily need the players knowing who's making how much more money than everybody else. And the player's like, no, we should know how much we're making versus these guys. And how yeah, much it's, we're, it's an important discussion to have. And how much yeah. we're not making. This yeah. is just the top end, the low end. Mm-hmm. You got players out there that are really performing for their team, getting paid as little as $100,000 a year. Yeah, like league minimum. Yeah, yeah. I got a little like hint of why, of all things, the union would be saying this when it was like, like, okay, here's like the league, like average, like here's the league mean, here's the league median. Um, and also here's how much those numbers have increased since last year. And it's like, oh, okay, I see. It yeah. is. It it's okay, but I I I don't know. I <laughs> it seems like not a lot of people at all know why <laughs> concretely. Yeah, and uh, one last thing to beat the drum as I'm going to, I want to tell St. Louis City SC that you need to put on monitors or paint on the walls information about the history of soccer in St. Louis in all the public areas so people can see the names of the U.S. Cup Open, uh, U.S. Open Cup winners and uh, the names of star players that have come out of St. Louis through all the years. And maybe even the uh, World Cup team that was made up of all St. Louis players that had the biggest upset, perhaps, in World Cup history when they beat England. So just want to keep 
I also mention the fact that uh, CBC does in fact have a a Olympic soccer medal. Yes. Yeah. And and we got funeral homes that have won U.S. Open Cup. So <laughs> yeah. that that needs to be out there. Yeah, nesting this right in at the end that like yeah, of all things, CBC was really foundational to the start of soccer in St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all I got. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your cave dwelling hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.